I have a surprise for those who think that the abortion issue has been settled in Canada. That debate has been reopened. Despite what politicians may think or what the secular media tries to pass on as fact, the debate has been reopened. Perhaps there is fear and no political will, but the debate has been reopened. It's been open now for at least two years. Every month, there is something about abortion in the news. Whether it's abortionist Henry Morgenthaler receiving the Order of Canada or the unborn victims of violence bill being introduced to Parliament, the issue is in the news. Now, it's back in the news because the leader of the Liberal Party, Michael Ignatieff, seems to think that Canada needs to include abortions in their plan to improve the health care of women in third world countries. Actually, it's been in the news because of that for several months now. And there are articles written in support of this and articles written against this. No matter, it's in the news. Who says the debate is over? May 14th marked 41 years since the omnibus bill, which decriminalized abortion. Since then, there's been a legal vacuum when it comes to abortion, as there is no law. It's neither legal nor illegal. There is no protection for the mothers, there's no protection for the doctors, or for the unborn children. It's possible to have an abortion at one week gestation, and it's possible to have an abortion at 40 weeks gestation. Anything goes, because, as some would like to think, Canadians don't want to hear about this issue anymore. And so, we continue in this abortion legal limbo. A friend sent me last week an article connecting abortions with the decrease in crime in third world countries. I suspect the author of the article was making a case in support of abortion. I guess there's no argument there. Of course there is going to be less crime if we kill the children before they are born and grow up to be criminals. That's a very inexpensive solution to the crime problem. I don't get it. On one hand, we have a Prime Minister who is talking about improving healthcare for women and children in the developing world. On the other side, there are these people who think that abortion will improve the health of those women. It's available for Canadian women, they say, therefore Canada should make sure that it's available for women everywhere. Again, that makes perfect sense. Why spend money making sure that women have the tools to survive childbirth when it's much cheaper to simply have them kill their children before they're born? My prediction is that Mr. Ignatieff's political career is over. And in the meantime, south of the border, Dame Hillary Clinton is lobbying to make sure the United States does the same thing. Even for countries that don't want abortion, no matter, let's cram it down their throats. That's American democracy. They know best. But that's okay. At the same time, campaigns such as the 40 Days for Life are proving more and more successful. Abortion facilities are closing and Planned Parenthood is concerned about funding. The March for Life in Washington and the National March for Life in Ottawa welcome more and more people. There are now seven regional marches for life across Canada in solidarity with the one in Ottawa. More and more young people are embracing the pro-life message. Why? Because it makes sense. Perhaps it's best if pro-abortionists believe that the debate is closed. One day, they will wake up to find out that they live in a country where abortion is unthinkable and they won't know what happened. My name is Pedro Guevara Man, and this is Salt and Light Radio.
Hello and good evening. Welcome to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. I'm Chris Dimitrenko. And Mary Rose Bacani is still out of town working on a wonderful project at St. Peter's Seminary in London, Ontario. So Salt and Light associate producer Alessia Domenico will be back with us today. And Chris, the Holy Father has had a busy week in Portugal. That's right, a four-day trip to Portugal and some, uh, some very interesting uh, sights from that trip, such as seeing him praying at the shrine where there, where there were the apparitions of the Virgin Mary. In Fatima, yes. Mm -hmm. um, and anything else in the news? Yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, shopping on Christmas Day, something that might happen here in Toronto. Mm-hmm, that's uh, very, uh, <laughs> very Scary. interesting. I'm not shopping on Christmas Day. Anyway, we look forward to hearing more on those stories. We will also be speaking to Salt and Light Vatican correspondent Alicia Ambrosio about the apostolic journey to Portugal. And our featured artist of the week is David McDonald, who once again was involved in the National March for Life in Ottawa. So here, as always, we begin with a song. So this is David McDonald with his song, Across. Across all time Across all space Across all lands Across all race Your cross is here my heart across my pain across my
That was our featured artist of the week, David McDonald, with his song, Across. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio. Our email address is radio at saltandlighttv.org. And our blog can be read at saltandlighttv.org slash blog. My name is Pedro. And here with me now, sitting in for Mary Rose, once again, is Salt and Light associate producer, Alessia Domenico. Welcome, Alessia. Hi, Pedro. Great to be here. So what do we have uh, in the in the calendar today? Okay, so in Regina and Moose Jaw this week, um, a conversation on the issue of euthanasia is taking place. Now, a guy named Jeff Christensen, who's the executive director of Regina Palliative Care, Inc., he's going to be exploring theological, pastoral, and spiritual dimensions of responding to the needs of individuals and families at the end of life. Uh, this is going to be taking place at Moose Jaw at Providence Place, located at 100 Second Avenue Northeast on May 19th from 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. He'll be in Regina later in the day at the Holy Trinity Church, located at 5020 Sherwood Drive, and that's happening from 7 to 8 p.m. And if you want to learn more about that event, it's going to be at chassk.ca. And in Toronto on May 17th is the Faith Connections Theology on Tap. That's a popular event that takes place. Uh, I think they try to do it about once a month. Yes. Yeah, so that's going to be 7 p.m. at the Duke of York Pub on 39 Prince, uh, Prince Arthur Avenue, Toronto. Um, so young adults aged 19 to 39 are invited to come out. It's a social evening, thought-provoking discussion. On, um, and this one's going to be on Risking God, Living the Sacramental Life, with guest Gregory Beeth from the Office of Formation for Discipleship and the Archdiocese of Toronto. Uh, snacks are always provided, and there will be a cash bar. So come out and bring a friend. It's taking place again at 7 p.m. at the Duke of York Pub on 39 Prince Arthur Avenue, Toronto. And for more information on that event, you can call 416-222-1426, extension 276, or visit faithconnections.ca. Okay, good. And just to clarify, so that's on May, May 17th. May 17th. Great. And so in Halifax, then we're moving on to the Mount St. Vincent University in Halifax on May 17th and May 18th, sorry, May 17th and May 18th in Halifax is the Atlantic Liturgy Conference annual study days. So this is three sessions that'll be taking place regarding the new implementation of the Roman Missal. So that's, uh, that missile is going to be set to come out 2011 to 2012. So the cost for each session is $10, adding up to $30. All three sessions include lunch on Tuesday. So on Monday evening, May 17th, the session is entitled The Basics about the new edition of the Roman Missal. That's taking place from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. The second session on Tuesday, May 18th, is taking place from 9 a.m. to noon, and that's called uh, Celebrating the Eucharist, the Nature of the, litur the Liturgical Act. And the final session on Tuesday will be taking place in the afternoon from 1 p.m., and that's entitled Celebrating the Eucharist, Today's Context. And overnight accommodations for participants is available at Mount St. Vincent University by contacting Patricia Drake. She's the conference assistant. Uh, her number is 902-457-6355. Or you can email her at patricia.drake at msvu.ca. Yeah, this is really interesting because, and I think that we will certainly be having a... Uh, uh, some featured conversations about the new translation of the missile that's being uh, released all throughout the English-speaking world. So that's an interesting, very good event, and events like that will be happening throughout the country, I am sure, in the years to come. 
definitely. And finally, in Ottawa, we have the upcoming Monte Jeunesse, the annual youth summit, and that's going to be taking place Friday, May 21st through to Monday, May 24th. And Monte Jeunesse, it's a bilingual gathering of youth and young adults from across Canada, and they focus on the Eucharist and living as a missionary. And it's open to all young adults graduating from grade 12 up to 35 years old. And the youth summit will be taking place at various locations and parishes across Ottawa. The cost is $150 per person, and this includes your accommodations and your tickets for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night meals as well. So for more information on the Youth Summit, you can visit youthsummit.ca. Good. Thank you so much. Um, Alessia will be back at the end of the show with more details, actually, about this uh, wonderful, the prime youth event in Canada, Youth Summit. So uh, stay tuned. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel and on the internet at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. Alessia just stepped out, but she will return a little later. In the meantime, Chris is now here with us with the news. Yes, Pedro. Uh, so the Pope was in Portugal this week. It seems like the Pope has hardly had a chance to unpack his bags since the, the trip to Malta. Yes. And, uh, and then also the, the day trip to Turin. And uh, very soon, he's also going to be going to Cyprus. But um, he just returned back to Rome yesterday during this four-day visit. Uh, a lot of different masses, times for prayer. Um, although there was an opportunity for him to engage with the secular world. And on Wednesday morning, he addressed artists and scientists at Lisbon's Cultural Center. In his speech, the Holy Father focused on the ongoing dialogue between Christianity and secular culture. The Pope said that cultures must be more than merely tolerant of one another. They must also aspire to be enriched by the other and seek to open new doors for communicating truth. And this is a theme that we've seen in throughout uh, the, the many people visits, and mm -hmm. particularly um, I think of his, one of his addresses in France, where he's really trying to engage the church in a dialogue with secular culture, as opposed to yeah. ghettoizing the faith and, uh, and essentially making it irrelevant as part of the culture. Mm -hmm. He wants the culture, the European culture, to, to continue to, to see its Catholic and its Christian roots and to engage with those. Um, the Vatican spokesperson, Father Federico Lombardi, uh, describes the Pope's approach as a constructive vision of the church in the in secular culture. And he's struck by the optimism of the Pope's talks in, in Portugal. Uh, John Allen, the, the, the well-known Vatican journalist, he, he calls this approach affirmative orthodoxy. So, uh, you know, preaching, you know, the, the truth of the church, but in a very positive sense that, that the secular world can, can grasp. Mm -hmm. um, that evening, and in, in he returned to sort of a more traditional role as a pope doing the things and saying the things you would expect him to do leading prayers at the site of the apparitions of the Virgin Mary Our Lady of Fatima and he recalled John Paul II's visits to Fatima he had three the most recent being in 2000 and John Paul II had credited Our Lady of Fatima's unseen hand he, he called it for rescuing him from the assassination attempt in the Vatican's St. Peter Square and uh, it was the 30th, uh, almost 30 years ago this week that that happened. It doesn't seem like it, it could no, possibly have been that long ago. The bolt that wounded John Paul II sits in the crown of the statue of Our Lady of Fatima. And in his prayer, Pope Benedict said that this bullet also gives Catholics profound consolation 
for their own anxieties and suffering. So the bold isn't just there to represent what happened to John Paul II, but it's, it's something for, for all of us. Also that day, the Pope took the opportunity to, uh, to consecrate the world's priests to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, which is uh, a very significant being that this is the, the year of priests. And so it's a re-consecration of the world's priests to Our Lady of Fatima. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, we look forward to uh, hearing more of the Pope's journeys as he goes to Cyprus uh, next time. Um, that's the news for now. We will be hearing from uh, Salt and Light uh, Vatican correspondent Alicia Ambrosio with her analysis of the uh, papal trip uh, to Portugal so far. We spoke to her last Thursday. Um, but that's it for Chris for now. You will return in about 20 minutes, Chris, so don't go too far away. Uh, to tell us a little bit more about uh, something that's happening here in the city of Toronto regarding Christmas shopping. Yes, and the Archbishop uh, is a little bit upset about it. So stay tuned. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. In 1917, the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to three shepherd children in Fatima, Portugal. Now, two of the children... Francisco and Jacinta died quite young and were beatified 10 years ago. It is on the occasion of this anniversary, the anniversary of their beatification, that Pope Benedict XVI made a special pastoral visit to Portugal. And to give us some more details of this pastoral visit, we spoke to Salt and Light Vatican correspondent Alicia Ambrosio. She spoke to us last Thursday from Rome. Alicia, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Thanks, Pedro. It's good to be back on the radio with you. Yes. Um, so, th- literally, the final Mass in Fatima finished moments ago, right? Yeah, I just turned off the TV. I was, we were following it because we get a better, better view on the television feed. Um, it just ended, and everyone is just kind of trying to absorb absorb all of it because there's so much that he did and there's so much that he still has to do um the trip is not over yet for right. him now what what's uh, what's the feeling in at the at the uh, catholic news service office right now in rome what's the buzz well it is really a, a moment of like whoa okay now let's sit down and look back over what he said because the thing with benedict is that he always goes into these trips with a clear message that he has in mind and sometimes because of the way he presents his message because he's an academic um his message doesn't always get picked up very clearly in the media so now is the moment to sit down look back over the texts of his speeches look back over what he said and how he said it and what he did and start to pull out the key themes. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing that really struck us, that really struck all of us, was that on board the flight to Portugal, yes. he actually did do a press conference. Yes, before he and even landed, one of yeah. The question, yeah. Yeah, and one of the questions that had been submitted was about the third secret of Fatima. Mm-hmm. And, it, I mean, we have, for the most part, it's accepted that the third secret of Fatima was revealed in 2000, and it was actually Cardinal Ratzinger himself with Cardinal Bertone who who worked on the release of, of that third secret. Yes. Um, there are some people who, you know, out there who have the theories that, you know, maybe it hasn't all been revealed yet or something like that. 
So there was this one question about the third secret of Fatima, but it was put in the context of what is happening to the Church right now, um, the sex abuse scandal, the, you know, that, that's coming out, um, the stories that are leaking daily about, you know, really sad things that have been happening with priests. And right. the question was, do you think this is what the third secret of Fatima was talking about? Hmm. And of course, we all think that we've all been told that the third secret was really referring to um, the attempt on John Paul II's life and how that would affect the Church. And uh, Benedict said, well, yeah, absolutely, this is part of what the third secret of Fatima was talking about. The third secret of Fatima talked about the suffering that the Church would go through. This is suffering. It's happening from the inside, and it's not an attack from the outside. It's coming from within. So that really, that struck everyone, because A, that question was unexpected, and B, it was just very clear. There was no, there was no diplomatic talk. It was, yes, the Church is suffering. This yeah. is what the secret was about. That's exactly what, Straight we're, out there. what we're hearing here, that, that he, it's the clearest or even more brazen, I think was the word I heard, uh, the Pope's most mm-hmm. brazen commentary on the uh, the crisis, the sex abuse scandals, and the crisis the church is going on right now. Um, uh, he he kind of alluded a little bit to that, don't you think, during his homily on uh, Tuesday as well in Lisbon, when he spoke about right. He spoke about mm-hmm. uh, that that faith, what faith really is as opposed to what faith isn't, that faith is not, that we put too much uh, emphasis on the, the hierarchical institutional powers of, of the church and that that's not church. Do you think he was kind of alluding to the same things, same theme? I think, well, I think what he was doing with that was reminding people again, because there are there is a percentage, there is a population within the church whose faith has been shaken by the fact that some priests unfortunately, have not been able to live up to their vows. Mm -hmm. And for some people, that really shakes their faith, while other people are able to say, you know, those are human beings, they're members of the institution, that doesn't affect my relationship with God. I think the most, the, the other time that he most clearly touched on that topic was when he talked yesterday in his, in his um, homily at the Vespers mm-hmm. about priestly fraternity and about how priests need communi- community with each other, and they also need to be unafraid to, um, when they see a brother priest engaging in a behavior or, or engaging in something that is not totally uh, in line with what a priest is supposed to do, how you're supposed to very warmly and with affection but very firmly take a stand and fraternally correct that brother priest and bring him mm-hmm. back essentially onto the straight and narrow, bring him back to what his priesthood is, right. bring him back to the, the meaning of his vows. I, I really thought that hit on it um, yeah. a, lot, a lot more clearly. And he also, in that same homily, said, um, addressed seminarians directly, mm-hmm. and he said, think very clearly, discern very carefully, think very clearly about your motives and why you're going into the priesthood. Right. I think that really, that to me, was following up on his earlier statements. That was, right. I thought, brazen. 
Yeah. Now, just a note for anyone that might be joining the program at this time, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro, and we're speaking with our Vatican correspondent, Alicia Ambrosio, about uh, Pope Benedict's uh, apostolic journey to Portugal. Alicia, do you think that the, uh, that the, his message or the theme of, of this trip has been hijacked by, by having to, to kind of go back and refer to these sex abuse things and, and priests and sin in the church? It almost seems that every time the Pope goes somewhere, like when he was in Angola last year, that it, it all became about handing out condoms, and, and it took away from the message of the real trip. Do you think that that's happening with this trip, or do you think that his, his theme or his message to going to Portugal is still uh, being heard, despite all these other comments? Well, I think it is a little bit of both. Because of the way Benedict writes and gives his speeches, sometimes the the theme that he was hoping to carry out, to, to impart, isn't always the first theme that you pick up on, and you just need to you need time to sit with, with his speeches and really distill what he's trying to say. And that's not necessarily because um, he's opened his mouth and said something else that has hijacked the trip, but it's just because of the nature of how he, how he talks and how he writes and how he thinks. They're not easy concepts to digest. Mm-hmm. But I think the other, I mean, the other key theme of his trip was really the simplicity, the turn to Mary um, and be like the shepherd children, be simple and, and just totally trust. And I I think also we can't really separate that from his message of the church's suffering and, you know, from, from addressing what's going on in the church. I don't think you can really separate the two. Um, you can't have one without the other. How are you supposed to submit to, totally to God if you can't recognize what is going wrong mm-hmm. within you, or in this case, within the church? So I don't think the two are mutually exclusive, um, but I also think the whole trip has been about devotion to Mary, and he has kept he's kept to that theme in the sense that all of his stops are you know he's not meeting separately with young people, he's not doing a separate meeting with with uh, a lot of different groups. Yeah. The the events that we are seeing, the events that are being broadcast around the world, are the Marian events. Uh-huh. They are the events that are recalling the shepherd children and their simplicity and their humility before Mary and how they consecrated themselves and how they gave themselves over to God's love. Yeah. So in that sense, I don't think that it's being hijacked because right. we're seeing what he wants us to see. That's true. And that's, uh, that's, thank you for, uh, for focusing that for us because that is, that is an important message that we need to uh, be like those shepherd children and uh, submit and uh, be in awe, I think, also, as we turn to Mary. Alicia, thank you so much for your, your take on the apostolic <laughs> journey to Portugal, at least uh, to this point. I know that there's still a couple more events to come, um, but we will hear about that uh, later. Um, so thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the evening in Rome. Thank you. You're welcome. That was our uh, Salt and Light Vatican correspondent, Alicia Ambrosio. She spoke to us last Thursday from Rome. Here now is our featured artist, David McDonald, with his song, Holy of Holies.
From the mountains and valleys to the inner city alleys, there is no end to your reign. From the angels in heaven to the man in depression, your love will always remain. Holy of holies. Lord, we come to you empty, asking for mercy. Pour out your healing and grace. From the Manhattan skyline to the Calcutta food line, heal all our hunger and rage. Holy. Our featured artist David McDonald with his song Holy of Holies. We will be speaking with David in about five minutes. But first, here back with us is Chris. 
Now, Pedro, tell me, what is the last place, where's the last place you'd like to spend Christmas Day? At the mall. <laughs> yeah, um, you'd think so. Yes. And and yet, if you think that the shopping mall is a great place to spend uh, spend your it's holidays, yeah. um, you, you just might get, uh, might get your wish. Uh, Toronto is considering a proposal to allow shopping on the few remaining holidays, including Christmas and Good Friday. Uh, the leader of Toronto's Catholics is calling the idea foolish. And I think both uh, Archbishop Collins and I have sort of a vested interest in that we both live just, you know, basically a block away from one of the biggest shopping malls in Canada. In so Canada. this is one of the sites that would be open. Yes. Um, you know, in my own neighborhood if this passed. He sent a strongly letter worded letter to City Council saying that the economic benefits are outweighed by the harm to family life and spiritual values. Since two-thirds of the population of Toronto are Christians, he says that it isn't unreasonable for the city to respect their most holy days. Stores would have the option of remaining open. They could choose to remain closed. But the Archbishop warns that giving them the choice will put pressure on businesses, and then that will put pressure on their employees and then on their families. Mm -hmm. and it's hard to imagine that, that a large shopping mall could find enough employees who actually want to work on Christmas Day. But this is something we could see. Now we won't know the answer for a little while because City Council had a vote this week to delay the vote until mm -hmm. after the election. And you can read into that what you will. Perhaps the candidates, uh, well the City Councilors don't want this to become an election issue and want to deal with this later. Um, that said, uh, the, the candidates for mayor were having a municipal election uh, have said that they want faith groups to take a bigger role in city affairs. Interesting. And uh, there was a debate uh, hosted by the Toronto Area Interfaith Council this past week, and four of the candidates uh, uh, were there, and uh, one of them, George Smitherman, who is considered, uh, I guess you could say, the front, ru front runner right now, says that he would like to bring faith groups together to arrive at common goals, goals for social justice and social development, so basically bringing them in and uh, and those faith groups have long had a role in helping the homeless, uh, uh, people with addictions. Uh, he also said, I thought this was very interesting, Pedro, that Toronto should be a city sophisticated enough to acknowledge uh, religious and cultural events as important to the broader community, uh, where we don't have to call a Christmas tree a holiday tree. Interesting. So yes. we're one of the cities right now that does have uh, it's my understanding a holiday tree. Yes. And George Smithers, Smitherman says that you know this is really unnecessary. Um, Rocco Rossi, who is another candidate, uh, he said that God has left City Hall, and this was in response to uh, someone who was saying, asking, saying that it seems that that God has has left City Hall and that there needs to be an official interfaith day or week. A number of the candidates. Uh, spoke uh, spoke favorably about the possibility of doing this to highlight faith communities in the city. Yeah, interesting that it's turned out to be a little bit about uh, religious holidays, even though some of the holidays that they're talking about are secular holidays like Canada Day, mm -hmm. um, July 1st. But uh, always happy to have our politicians talking about faith. Well, during an election, uh, <laughs> they they know that it's, that it's important, but... Uh, um, what I want to do is I want to find out, you know, what my own city councillor thinks about this idea of, yes. of shopping yes. on holidays. Yes. Well, uh, thank you so much, Chris, as always. 
very insightful and interesting news from our Salt and Light Radio news producer, Chris Dimitrenko. If you'd like to comment on anything you hear on our program, remember you can send us emails, radio at saltandlighttv.org. This is Kyle Hyman from Papua, and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159, XM 117. It's amazing to me how God can call someone who has absolutely no knowledge or previous experience of religion or God. But that's exactly what happened to David McDonald, singer-songwriter from Ottawa. I spoke to David last Thursday as he was preparing for the National March for Life in Ottawa. David, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Hey, Pedro. Glad to be here. Yes. Um, so, uh, not to get, because we have, don't have a lot of time, but to get the full story, what was, what was it like to grow up in the McDonald household? <laughs> well, my parents used to play frisbee with plates. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Suffice it to say, there was a lot of fights and there was a lot of arguments, and there was no God, and there's an old saying that says, you know, if you have no God and no God, you have no peace. But if you know yes. God, K-N-O-W, you know peace, and we didn't know God. We, so there was a lot of fights. So you didn't have, you didn't have God, you didn't have peace. Um, you wanted to be a superstar. You ended up on Broadway. You ended up touring Cats. Tell us a little bit about that lifestyle. Yeah, so I went down to New York at 19, and uh, things really took off for me. I ended up producing rap records in Harlem, and then uh, got an audition on Broadway for a Broadway show uh, called Rock and Roll the First 5,000 Years, and uh, after that closed, I ended up doing a couple of movies, one for Paramount, one for Columbia Pictures, so hanging out with Robert Downey Jr. and Tom Cruise, and kind of that generation of actors, and things were really taking off, but, uh, you know... I had that hole inside me, you know, that God-sized hole, and, I, and only God could fill it. And there's nothing in this world I could fill it so I could get everything I wanted, but it wasn't enough. And uh, what ended up happening was that I just started spiraling, and I got involved in an abortion uh, with, uh, with my girlfriend at the time. I wasn't living a chaste life, of course, uh, at that time, and uh, I didn't even know what chastity meant, you know? Mm -hmm. And... Um, and I got involved in an abortion, and we both really spiraled. She was a medical doctor, and she got, uh, you know, she became, you know, got kind of uh, drugged up after that, and I got all twisted up, and I blew my voice out completely when I was on the U.S. national tour of Cats. I was the rock and roll cat, uh, the Rum Tum Tugger, mm -hmm. and I blew my voice out completely right before the Chicago opening, and, and that was the end of my career. I couldn't talk for, uh, for uh, three years, and I couldn't sing for ten years. So that was the beginning the beginning of the beginning, I was going to say the beginning of the end, but the, begin the beginning of the beginning. <laughs> it was the end of me and the beginning of, of Christ in me, you know, and uh, I was up in Montreal and I just had this, I went up into the oratory, you know, where, where Brother Andre, uh, you know, uh, who was going to be beatified in a couple of months, yep. um, uh, just really, he moved in my heart. I didn't even know who he was, you know, and it's just, I just wandered around the tomb of Brother Andre's uh, uh, tomb and and there was this amazing feeling that came over me and right after that I went upstairs and in front of the cross I just lay down on my face and I said Jesus I said I don't know you and I don't know your people but I just ask you'd come and take my heart and take my life and I give you everything I've ever been and everything I ever will be and everything I am Jesus take my life and that was the beginning of a, of a new path for me yeah um, uh, that that full you just given us the uh, you know the three minute version that full um, testimony can be found on your website. So if people are interested in, in reading all the details, the web website is David Mac. Yeah, 
Come see me. Yeah, that's my that's my music website. Probably the best way to get a hold of me is catholicbridge.com. Okay. Catholicbridge.com. So that's the apologetic site. Um, catholicbridge.com. Um, uh, it's a fascinating, powerful, powerful story. I've been blessed to hear it uh, a few times, um, which brought you not just to the church, or this, but to have a very strong uh, pro-life stance. And you already mentioned a little bit about the, the experience you had with your girlfriend at the time with the abortion. How... How did that experience come back to you in, in the sense that you felt that you were being called to take a stand for life now as a, as, a, as a Christian, as a Catholic? Well, you know, it took me a long time to really get the full magnitude of what I'd been involved with. You know, I was Christian for quite some time, probably 15 years before I actually really got it how important this issue of abortion was and how uh, incredibly selfish I was by sacrificing, uh, you know, my, my children on the altar of my ambition. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, uh, it was really around uh, 2001 or so, I got introduced to the people who were doing the National March for Life um, because of my Christian music, uh, you know, thing that was happening. Yeah. And just by talking with the people involved and, and by witnessing with them, and then one day just really connecting up with what I'd actually done, you know, it was the Lord just downloaded into my heart this incredible pain uh, you know uh, over my children and then I had a, a dream about uh, about hitting this little girl with a car you know and uh, and then I saw in this meditation uh, I saw her uh, standing beside Mother Mary and uh, and saying you know this is your daughter David and I'm like can I talk to her you know yes and how do I know she's in heaven well, she's with me, isn't she? Where am I? Mm. Right. And then I got this incredible feeling of love, you know. And uh, I just really asked my my daughter forgiveness uh, for what I had done, the selfishness I, you know, done. And and since then I've been speak. I speak to probably about uh, I don't know ten thousand young people a year uh, about abortion, going into schools and sometimes you know different radio things or whatever, and on my website. Right. Uh, helping young people to make a decision and a choice not only to stand up for life if they find themselves in a pregnancy situation, but also to stand up politically for life and, and do this type of thing. And, and today is a big day, of course, uh, the National March for yes. Life at noon. Uh, we are uh, going to be uh, celebrating life, and we're also going to be telling our government how important it is that they consider the unborn in their legislation. And we will have... Uh, we're estimating about 15,000 people there, and of those, it'll be 5,000 young people. Yes, that's awesome. Just a note for anyone that might be joining the program at this time, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm your host, Pedro. We're speaking with our featured artist of the week, David McDonald. So, David, um, thank you for, for, the, for the information about the, the National March for Life. Uh, what is your involvement with the march this year? Um, well, I'm I'm running the band, and I'm uh, I'm also behind the scenes. I do all of the equipment uh, rentals and all that kind of thing. So I'm very much on the organizing committee. Um, but I also, uh, you know, run the band and I sing and I write a theme song for it. But I, I'm bring I brought in a really good young singer this year from uh, the Hamilton area, Ancaster, oh. named Cal- uh, Kathleen Dunn, and she's going to be singing with our band today, uh, singing a theme song that I wrote. And uh, she's like 19 years old. And she practices chastity and she goes to Our Lady Seat of Wisdom Academy, and she's really heavy into her Catholic faith and into telling her peers about chastity. So. So, you know, the next thing for me to do is to really hand off this, this, uh, 
this love of music and the pro-life movement to the younger generation and to give them a chance to come on up and, and come alongside them and, and nurture them and mentor them. Yeah. Now, David, we've been listening to uh, a couple of your songs so far, uh, Across and Holy of Holies. Um, what Did you get the sense that when you were being changed by God that, that he was telling you that he was taking your music away from you and then how was the, the moment where you realized that the music was not being taken away from you but that in fact it was, it was you were being called to use the music for this, for this, new, uh, right. this new call well, right after, it's, you're absolutely right, Pedro. Right after I had that experience with the Lord, I, and I really had a sense that He wanted me to give up music completely, and, and I gave away everything, $20,000 worth of equipment, and I sold it rock bottom cheap and everything, just, you know, and I worked in a charity and eventually went back to school. Never thought I'd ever do music ever again. I couldn't sing anyway during those days. Mm-hmm. And it was on a Curcio retreat uh, uh, 10 years later when all of a sudden they, there was just this teaching about Christ is at the center of a spiritual life, and I, I thought, I wonder if I could write a song for Christ. You know, it just came mm. through my head. I hadn't touched an instrument in 10 years, and I, and I just, I don't know, I just picked up a guitar that was beside me, and I just started singing this song, Love at the Center, and, you know, and, and, I, and I sang it, and my voice sort of came back uh, uh, by that time, and... Uh, and everybody, nobody knew that I was a singer, you know. Right. And so there was this incredible uh, feeling of joy in the audience, and everybody was like, wow, this is amazing. We all sang together this theme song that I wrote, uh, and that was the beginning of it. That was 1998. And, and so I sang for, I was touring for about 10 years, doing quite a bit in India, and of course the World Youth Days, and all the yes. Europe, and all that kind of thing down in the U.S., and things were going really well. Um, and then on European tour, I, blew, I should say, uh, after World Youth Day in, in Sydney, I blew my voice out in India again. And, uh, and I was wondering, Lord, wait a second, I'm on the right team here. What are you doing? Why are you taking my voice away again? And it was really because uh, there was this woman on my heart, and I've been practicing chastity, of course, for the last 10 years and, and not involved in any relationships. And um, and this beautiful woman, Kirsten, came into my life, and uh, and I was able through all of this to kind of see the incredible uh, gift that God had for me, and that he, what He was giving to me. And so uh, uh, I, we're moving towards marriage now. That's that is that's such a good story. I mean, I really encourage people to go to CatholicBridge.com. And, and read the full testimony, find out more about David. You're not just a pro-life speaker, you're, a, you're, a, you're an accomplished singer and songwriter. There's lots, of, lots more uh, inside of you, David, to come out, I'm sure. And, uh, and uh, just many blessings on this upcoming marriage between you and Kirsten. Um, thank oh, you for thanks. being with us today. Thank you, Pedro. God bless and have fun at the march. <laughs> yeah. That was a conversation I had with David McDonald last Thursday as he was preparing for the National March for Life in Ottawa. May 14th marked 41 years since the Canadian Parliament passed the infamous omnibus bill, Bill C-150, the legislation which decriminalized contraception, abortion, and homosexuality. In Canada today, there is no law restricting abortion, even up to the moment before birth. For more information, you can visit the Campaign Life Coalition website campaignlifecoalition.com Here now is David McDonald with his pro-life song Life is the Only Choice I was climbing the ladder 
I didn't know my morals were shattered by my ambition Oh no Lord I was looking for glamour I didn't know I was taking a hammer to my conscience And everything I should have treasured I was lost in this world That knows nothing about love Nothing more than racing after emptiness Chasing the wind I lost my mind, everything I owned I lost my child and my soul In my mad rush for security I didn't know life is precious From beginning to end Something we must Featured Artist of the Week, David McDonald with Life 
is the only choice. That's a wonderful song. I really, really like that song. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio. Our email address, radio at saltandlighttv.org. And our blog can be found at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And now back with us is Alessia with some details about this only national youth event ca in Canada, which is taking place in Ottawa this year. Thank you, Pedro. So I had a chance to talk with uh, Ted Hurley earlier this week. He's the Director of Youth Ministry for the Archdiocese of Ottawa. He's also heading up a lot of the events and organizing for the Monte Jeunesse Youth Summit. So let's listen to what me and Ted had to talk about. Hello, Ted, and thank you for joining us at Salt and Light Radio. Thank you very much, Alyssa. It's my pleasure to, to be here, and I'm always excited about the work that Salt and Light does and how it encourages youth to live out their call as as a missionary through media. Thank you for that. Now, so Ted, you've been planning the 2010 Youth Summit for a while now, and uh, you're expecting close to 400 young people for Victoria Weekend on May 21st to the 24th. So can you tell us a little bit what the summit is really all about? Sure. It's been about two years in the planning that we've been working on Monte Jeunesse or the Youth Summit, uh, Ottawa, 2010. Um, the Youth Summit has a humble beginning, a very simple beginning, in that it was a build-up to the Eucharistic Congress. Mm -hmm. So three years before the Eucharistic Congress happened, Archbishop, uh, sorry, Cardinal Willett had a gathering for young adults every year for three years, trying to get them interested in the Eucharistic Congress. Mm -hmm. And it started off with a small group and then just kept building and building. And then at the Eucharistic Congress itself, there was a larger gathering of, of young adults, who approached the Arch, uh, Cardinal Willett, and they asked him, can we continue this? We need something for young adults that will help them to focus on the Eucharist and focus on how to live life as a missionary. And so Cardinal Willett said, yes, let's do this. And so last year, the Montagenes, or Youth Summit, continued on after the Congress. This was never intended in the first place. It sort of came from the youth, which is exciting. And so this year, Archbishop Terry said, let's do this in Ottawa. And next year, there won't be one next year, because it's a World Youth Day year, but the year after that, there will be another Montagenes Youth Summit. And I'm not going to tell you where, because that's a build-up. That's going to be our announcement at the closing Mass at this year's Montagenes. Oh, exciting. Now, you had asked about, you know, what, it, what is it all about, and how does it work? Mm -hmm. Well, there's two focuses. One is the Eucharist that we have to live our lives centered on the Eucharist. The other one is that everyone has a call to live as a missionary. Some people are called to live as a missionary in a third world country. Not all of us are. Some of us are called to work, like myself, as a director of youth ministry, work within a church. Some of us are called to be priests and nuns. Some of us are called to work maybe in our own cities, work with the people on the streets. Some of us might be called to work in our pews and to bring evangelization into the pews in our church and to help our church come alive in the new evangelization. Some of us might be called to work with salt and light as a missionary, or perhaps maybe with a CHR radio station here in Ottawa. There's many different ways, and God has a call for each of us. So Monte Jeunesse is looking at, well, what is that call? What is your specific call, and how do you respond to that? All right, perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time, Ted, once again, and thank you for speaking with us here at Salt and Light Radio. Thank you very much, and keep up the good work there and living as missionaries. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
That was Ted Hurley, Director of Youth Ministry for the Archdiocese of Ottawa. So if you want to learn more about the Youth Summit, the Monte Jeunesse, you can go to youthsummit.ca. Again, highly encourage you to go to this. It's the only national youth event in the country. If you're in Vancouver, if you're in Halifax, if you're in Yellowknife, you c should go. Find a cheap plane ticket and go. Youth Summit in Ottawa this year. Um, thank you, Alessia, for that. And uh, a reminder to all our listeners, uh, if you want us to talk about your events, just send us an email. Radio at saltandlighttv.org. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel. Sirius 159 and XM 117. I'm Pedro Guevara Mann. And I'm Alessia Domenico. And be sure to tune in tomorrow, Sunday, May 16th, for the premiere of Salt and Light's newest documentary, A Pilgrim's Guide to the Holy Land. It's inspired by Pope Benedict's visit to the Holy Land a year ago. A Pilgrim's Guide to the Holy Land will air tomorrow, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. On Thursday, May 20th, is the anniversary of Pier Giorgio Frassati's beatification. So tune in for To the Heights. A group of pilgrims follow in the steps of Pier Giorgio Frassati and climb a mountain to experience God's wonder and glory. To the Heights airs on May 20th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Pacific. And next Saturday, May 22nd, we will air the first part of the miniseries Noah's Ark. Now part two will air the following Saturday, but we'll tell you all about that later. Part one will air next Saturday, May 22nd at 8 p.m. Eastern. And that's it for Salt and Light Radio. If you missed any part of this broadcast or you want to listen to any Salt and Light Radio program, go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio. All our shows are archived right there and available for podcast. And you can always send us your comments to radio at saltandlighttv.org. Remember that we love your mail. Yes, we do. Well, Alessia, thank you for helping us out once again. My pleasure. Great. And Mary Rose will return next week um, here with us today. As, as uh, you've been uh, hearing, in her place was Salt and Light associate producer Alessia Domenico. Um, I hope that you can help us out again sometime soon. Thank you for being with us. My name is Pedro and this has been Salt and Light Radio.